0: of the uh, morning shakeout um, newsletter that comes to my uh, inbox every every Tuesday and hopefully Mario will be able to hear us here in a second but Mario ran this race so you know if Mario's not running Boston then he's covering it and talking about it and coaching a ton of athletes he um he is an online running coach extraordinaire and uh here he is so let's see if he can hear us Mario can you hear us I
1: can can you hear me we can all right we're in business how you guys doing?
0: we're doing great. Uh, we've talked to a couple people already and we're having a lot of fun and we're showing the race here and there. I think the, um, the men's race now has begun. So you can see it there on the screen. Um, yep. but before we get into a couple of other things, I- I'm just going to ask you to look at this and what do you remember about the start?
1: Uh, I'm way back in that mess somewhere. Um, it was packed, crowded for me. It was the first time I'd ever been in the, not the first corral at Boston. I'd always been in in the first corral, but I was in corral too, because the year before in 2017, I had my worst marathon that I've ever run. And I wilted in the heat and ended up coming in at like 247 or something like that. And that wasn't fast enough to get me in the the front corral. So I had about a thousand people ahead of me right at the start. And it was the most crowded start that i had ever been a part of.
0: What was the vibe? It, so you were in the masses, you know, you were essentially in the I masses. Was in the, yeah,
1: I was, I was firmly planted in the masses.
0: And what was the vibe like back there?
1: There was a lot of nervousness, felt like there were a lot of people who weren't really sure of themselves, maybe didn't want to be there. Uh, there was a lot of excitement as there typically is at Boston um, with the race about to go off. But I think everyone in that corral knew they were going to be part of something epic that day, regardless of how it ended up playing out for them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and and tell folks, so going into this, you've trained for it and you also have a lot of athletes that you coach online. How many people were you coaching that day?
1: So I had six people in the race and Two, I had two women in the elite field, and then I had four in the mass start. And my two women, I think I had two, two or three women in the elite field, two that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, both, both of whom lived and trained in San Diego, uh, and both ended up dropping out with hyperthermia at, at various points of the race. Um, I should have gone back and looked uh, to see how everyone of you the made race. out. Yeah, that's that was uh, I think mile sixteen. Yeah, you
0: look exactly. like you're having a lot of fun there.
1: I was having a blast. <laughs> I really was, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It uh, doesn't look it in that photo, but I think that was the appropriate uh, expression for the day.
0: Well, what did you guys talk about with the athletes beforehand about about how to handle it?
1: So what I had told my crew was more so than ever before. Let's not think about splits or look at watches because it was not going to be a fast day. We knew it was going to be wet and windy Boston, even under the best of conditions, it's really hard to run a super even race, but more so than ever we knew splits were going to yo-yo that it was going to be a race of attrition more than anything else. The biggest key that we talked about, which wasn't as much of an issue for the elite women that I had, um, but for the the rest of us was just staying warm and dry before the race, because unlike the elites who are on the bus and then in the church and able to stay dry up until the very last moments, everyone else for the most part is stuck outside and is just trying to stay warm and dry. And on this day, I mean, I think it was, I think it was in the thirties. Um, it was pretty dang cold. My dad, I grew, so I grew up in central Massachusetts, about 45 minutes west of Boston, and I've, I've grown up around the Boston Marathon, I've been to it every year since 2002, with the exception of my wedding in 2013, and this year, um, at least as of right now, and I woke up that morning in 2018 at my dad's house in Worcester, which is at a little bit of an elevation, it's like about a thousand feet, and we actually had snow on the ground um, when I woke I up, that. he was driving me out to the bus hopkinton and i was like oh man here we go like this is going to be this is going to be pretty epic and as we got closer to hopkinton there was less and less snow on the ground but in central massachusetts it looked pretty wintry um and that's what that's what i remember about the day and, and i told my crew as well like you know that you're going to be cold when you get out there no matter what you do or what you wear and you're going to be wet no matter what you wear it doesn't matter if you have a fully waterproof jacket on it's not going to make that much of a difference you're going to be soaked but Do what you can before the start to stay as warm and as dry as possible. Um, Because if you're, you know, if you've already burned a lot of calories before you get to the start line, just from shaking and shivering, you know, you're kind of hosed before you start.
0: So you, you take off, you say you're having fun. What, what was your fitness like and what were your goals going in?
1: I was pretty fit. Going in for me, um, I thought objectively, all things being equal, I had probably 229 to 230 type of fitness. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be that kind of a day. And for me, rewinding again to the year before 2017, when it was warm, um, I remember walking to the start line of that race and it was almost 70 degrees already. And I'm not great in the heat. And I was like, all right, it's hot. You've got to back off at the start. It's not going to be a 230 type of day do not go out at that type of effort because you're not going to be able to sustain it and like an idiot I did against my own best <laughs> advice and as I said earlier I just completely unraveled I actually walked the last 5 aid stations which I've never done before <laughs> in a marathon and came through in like 247 so I told myself I wasn't going to repeat that type of day uh and I I told myself again like hey you've got good fitness but it's not about the clock today listen to the advice that you gave your athletes Um, Just focus on competing, and I think for me it ended up being a blessing in disguise that I was back where I was, because I had about a thousand people in front of me before the race even started moving, and it into a very slow start because it was just so dang crowded. So I really wasn't moving that fast for the first you know thousand meters or so, and then by the mile mark, it had opened up a bit. Um, But I felt pretty good once I got moving, and Like I heard Scott describing earlier, like for me, it was just all about racing and competing. And when you're back where I am and you've got a thousand people in front of you and you're passing them in droves as, as the race goes on, you're just gaining confidence. At least I was with every, with every stride. And that was pretty much the the race for me. I just kept moving on up, moving on up, moving on up. I ended up finishing like 83rd overall. Um, And I was way back in Corral 2 somewhere at
0: the start. What did you think of the crowd that day?
1: It was, I mean, I'd been out at Boston a bunch before. Uh, it was definitely smaller than usual, but unsurprisingly, people still came out and they were still cheering and the energy was still high despite it being a crappy day to to be out there, but it was less than normal for sure. What's the best thing about Boston in your opinion? The fans. Um, they're unlike any other. I mean... This race, up until well, hopefully it still goes on in September, but it's the world's oldest annual marathon. And in a lot of these smaller towns—Hopkinton, um, Ashland, Framingham, Natick—they're uh, old New England towns, and a lot of those families have been there for a long time, and they've had their spot along the marathon course for a long time. And they put their chairs out. Uh, well, nice weather, they put their chairs and their blankets out like days before, uh, and they're there every year. And even if they're not runners, the marathon is a big deal. And when you grow up in that area and people know that you're a runner, they ask you if you've run the marathon. They don't give a rat's ass what other races you've run. Like you've either run the marathon or you haven't <laughs> run it at all. So people, are, people respect the event. Um, they're pretty educated about it. They understand and respect its history. And even in a terrible year like this, where it's 30 something degrees and pissing rain and driving wind, uh, they're still out there and they're still cheering people on. And from the first um, finishers all the way to, to the back, they're going, they're going crazy. And it's just a, it's just a big party. And I know New York is bigger. I ran it this past fall for the first time. And I mean, it's New York city. I mean, there's nothing bigger, wilder or crazy, but, to me, and I'm guessing because I grew up there, there are no better fans than there are in Boston. Uh, it's just
0: really, really
1: something special.
0: Well, you wear many hats, Mario, and you ran this race and you coached people in this race, but you're also the um, founder, proprietor of the Morning Shakeout. You, you're Correct. in my inbox every Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and um, so in, in that role, you, you sort of play the journalist role and you cover the sport and you share links and you give your opinions and your thoughts about different things going on. And so we've, we've got some questions rolling in from, from the fans watching on Facebook. And I thought this one might be interesting for both of you. Um, Sure. Thoughts on what Yuki wore that day and why didn't the cold bother him?
2: The guy's a maniac. (laughs) I, I think, I think actually this is not a joke. I think his last race he wore a panda suit. So maybe he was like internally preparing. He's like, I'm a panda bear. You know, I can go out and do this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. To echo Scott's point, I mean, Yuki is a maniac. And I remember some article after the race, he said, for me, the conditions were perfect. So I think he, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out what to, to wear that day, but I think he knew, you know, what he, you know, what he needed to wear on that day, given the, you know, given the conditions and, you know, just felt pretty confident in what he had on himself, even though it wasn't much.
2: Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from his win or his run, but he's definitely someone who kind of thrives from what I've witnessed as I don't know him very well personally at all, but just from witnessing his races on being a little reckless. So I think the risk reward out there for him was like, it's like if I go out there and I do this, like if he runs that race a hundred more times, I'm not sure how many times he runs the race he just he ran that that year if if that makes sense um so I think it was like you know I'm this is this I'm made for this I think there's a large mental component to it that he was like he was looking forward to those conditions probably a lot more than some of the athletes and just the downside wasn't that big of a deal to him like the it was so strange he was in our pace group when we paced Aaron Braun in Chicago that fall and he ran slower in Chicago on like a pretty decent day than he did in Boston this day. It just, so it, it the, the variability in his performance, I don't think bothers him at all. So I don't think he had, I mean, if I'm, you know, doing like the sideline coaching sideline therapist, like I don't think it was that big of a deal to him if it, if it did backfire. Yeah, Mario. I would agree with that. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think um honestly he, you know, he, gave a crap he's like you know this is going to go one of two ways am i either going to win the race running this way or i'm gonna get completely blown out the back and i think he was okay with either outcome
2: yeah um i had a question texted in from producer nicole over here who's filtering the the comments um someone asked like in the lead pack when did we think yuki was actually going to win and I would like to ask Shaddy that when he comes on action, because I was actually too far back to even realize what was happening. I, I didn't I had no idea who that was. He was so far off the front. I, I honestly thought from behind it was kind of like Mexican fly color. So I thought it may have been a Mexican athlete that was way up there and, and I didn't remember seeing uh, you know, you know, very fast um Mexican athlete on the start list so I was like oh this guy will come back he's you know he's probably just trying to get his 15 seconds of fame or whatever not realizing it was actually Yuki and that he would go on to win the whole race but it would be interesting to hear Shadi's take on that from like up front more closer to where that was happening.
0: Well Mario that's the men's race a little bit but of course for the American viewer the story of the day ended up being Des Linden winning the race so what what was your take on the women's race and had you since you were running and since you had people in it did, did you play the journalist role too much I mean did you did you um no pick apart the race beforehand or did you just kind of uh, were you just kind of surprised like everyone else and uh, and what did you think of, of the final result
1: um so I did not play much of the journalist role that weekend in Boston and and honestly I haven't Really, I haven't been in the press room at Boston since my my days at Competitor, so it's been at least four years now at this point. I've mostly been there the last several years primarily as a coach or competing myself or some version of both of those things. But um, I was not surprised to see Des win that race. I mean, I think it was really set up for her in terms of the the conditions. And knowing, I mean, similar to what Scott was just describing with, with Yuki, I know Des had the same attitude. I mean, she was on the bus or or I'd read this anyway, on the bus, like to race and everyone else is like, do I have enough clothes? Like, how's this going to go? And she was genuinely excited, you know, excited about it. Um, And I, I think that made a big difference. And I think it, you know, is the perfect conditions for her, you know, on, on that day. And I mean, for her to win and and win by as much as she did, I mean, obviously there was a high rate of attrition there, but I mean, no one else was even, no one else was even close. And just given her history at that race, you know, having run a fast year in 2011, having run there when it's hot, having run there when it's cold uh, and consistently finding herself finishing, you know, in the top five, if not on the, you know, on the podium. um, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised one bit. I mean, if, if, I think before the race I was like this is going to be Desi's year I'm like, like Desi or Shalane like one of those two is going to going to win this race and you know Shalane suffered a, a bit more but I mean I think Des ran about as well as any woman could have run on that day
0: yeah we'll ask Josh Cox her agent when he comes on but I think there was also some of that like Scott was saying with Yuki some of that nothing to lose mentality because I think yeah though you're exactly right about her performances there in the past I think if I'm not mistaken, she wasn't terribly confident in her build-up this time around. And sometimes that nothing to lose attitude can be a good thing, especially on a day like this. Um, now, as I watch the men's race here, look how far Yuki dropped back there. His He's already grimacing. His race was amazing. Incredible. It was just amazing. These things don't happen. You don't get dropped in these marathons and come back. I think his race is... Um, gosh, it's, it's it's really inspirational. It reminds you of some of those videos you see on Twitter where somebody felt like Heather Camp's race where she fell down and came back in that 600 at the Big 10 Championships. It's just, it's really a, a lesson in um, not giving up, for lack of a better phrase.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, this is like a boxing match, right? Like he goes, he comes out swinging really hard, you know, lands some early punches, things start settling down, you know, and here he is, he's like, you know, grimacing and he's on the ropes and he's kind of getting his clock clean. And then, you know, all of a sudden he gets another late, you know, he gets a late flurry and puts, you know, puts everyone away. Um, pretty, pretty remarkable. Cause you're right. I mean, it, you know, 99.9% of the time, like this guy's done. I'm not done, back.
0: It's very interesting watching them sway. Was that happening in your pack, Scott, or were you guys working together a little bit more? These guys seem like nobody wants to lead. He, this guy goes to the side, they all follow. It's kind of crazy.
2: Yeah, I don't remember as much kind of zigzagging and swaying around the course. I remember when we kind of like the the packs had settled out, that my group was kind of myself, uh, Tyler, not Tyler Penelope, um, Bumbleo, I think Reed, Coolset, and then one of the other Canadian guys. And then Elkanah Cabette was actually leading our group for most of it. And I, I know Elkanah, and I, so I feel bad retrospectively. Like just, I didn't realize it was him because everyone's so bundled up but he happened to be in the front of our group and our group just let him take the lead in these brutal conditions for miles and miles. <laughs> so if it wasn't for Alcon our group may have slowed even more significantly, but I don't remember as much being all over the place. I remember it being more a feeling of because the wind was so strong like more like forward. And, I mean obviously not backwards, but that feeling that you know almost like stopping at certain points just cuz the wind would get so yeah. Heavy at
0: points. Mario, same thing.
1: Yeah, the the wind was really brutal. I mean, I remember like no joke, laughing a couple times during the race because it would it would literally stand me up straight. Yeah. Um, at certain points, and you didn't feel like you didn't feel like you're moving. And and for me, I was just like, I mean, and everyone else around me was in the same boat. So it wasn't like I was you know losing spots or anything. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And I remember seeing, um, you know, when you enter a new town you know, there'd, there'd be like a an Adidas flag or something that said, I think it would say like, you know, Ashland or Natick or whatever town you're coming in. And they were all blown over. Like almost all of them were blown over on the side, you know, on the side of the road. Um, and at, at some points I remember it was so strong. It was like literally coming at you sideways. And, and you're like, this is just like, like I was describing the scene at the the start line where you're like, you knew this was going to be something epic today. And then when you, when you were actually living it, um, at least for me, I was like, I was like, oh man, I'm going to be telling stories from this race for the rest of my life because, you know, I don't know if I'll
0: ever experience anything quite like this again in a marathon. Well, that leads me to my second. I got two questions for you and that leads to the second to last question. What's, what's your what's your number one memory from this day then? Um,
1: my, my number one memory. That's a good question. Um well it the, for me it was it was actually after the race, um, so I crossed the you know I crossed the finish line i I by all accounts had had a really great race. They wrapped me up in the in the mylar blanket and i 'd run Boston before and in the past, I swear to god like i i 've come through the chute and there there was always a place I could exit to the left uh, and I could get off like on that side of the road i never actually walk through and gone and had gone to the family meeting area like I always went to the left and I told my wife to meet me there and obviously you know have dry clothes and, and whatnot we knew before the race like I would I would need them no matter what um so I'm walking through and that something had changed or maybe I was just mistaken but I couldn't get out to the left and they made me walk all the way through to the family meeting zone which is on the the way other side so like I come through and I know she's not going to be there because we talked about you know going going to this other and i come through and i'm like oh crap like it, like i am in trouble like i'm going to be in trouble here um because i don't have my phone or anything i have no way to to get in touch with her and it's you know dumping down rain and so i go through the family meeting area and i'm like i'm getting hypothermic now like it's uh, it's getting pretty dangerous i'm like this isn't this isn't good i'm like this really isn't good and and i didn't i must not have looked good um because someone like someone outside was like, Hey, get in here. And they like opened this door and it was like some hotel lobby or something like that. And they're like, get in here. And, <laughs> and I just, I just went in there and they're like, you doing all right. And I'm like, no, not, not at all. And they're like, they're like, get this guy, some dry towels, like get him get him something. So they like pulled down like these towels and like they wrapped me in the towels and I like, can, can we get you anything else? Uh, and I was like, I need to call my wife. And, you know, some guy like the the doorman at the hotel like gets a cell phone out and I like dial my wife's number and she doesn't recognize it, so she just doesn't answer. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh crap! And then she has this moment. And she's like, oh, some Boston number tried to call me, and and like that might be Mario because I can't find him. I should call that back. And she called back and eventually like found her way over there. And by the time she got there, I was just like a shell of a human being, mm-hmm. um, and just wrapped in this like you know dry towel and you know, basically preventing me from trying to go into like, you know, hypothermia, but I was like curled up, like in a ball, like on the floor, just like writhing
0: and writhing in pain. And I, I'll never forget that. That's awesome. That's so great. That's so great. Well, my, my very last question is a quick one. Will, will you be there in September then if it happens?
1: I, if it happens and it's safe to travel. Um, yeah, I, I plan on being there in September, but I, you know, at this point, it seems so far out. Um, and things are changing obviously by the week. So I'll just keep an eye on things. And, you know, I've got athletes who are supposed to race. Um, I, you know, I was planning, I would be there today, um, you know, had, you know, had it not been postponed, but yeah, depending on how things look in September, uh, if it's safe to travel um, and I, you know, I feel comfortable doing so then yeah, I I plan on being there.
0: Well, thanks Mario. This was awesome. Really appreciate you telling your story and uh, enjoy the rest of the race.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. See ya.